people that don't draw or make art forget about the fact that it's a white piece of paper. There's nothing on the paper. It's a piece of paper and then there's little lines on the paper. This is Social Fabric, conversations with people about their passion and their contribution to the community. For more information, go to socialfabric.ie. I went to the preacher, I asked him to tell me what was the difference between heaven and hell. Said one was above, one was below the ground. Who's gonna follow me down? So there you go, I'm here with Michael. Emberly, is that how you pronounce your second name? Yes. Emberly. <laughs> Emberly. Emberly with an E. Emberly with an E. And um, what I wanted to start to ask you, first of all, is about one of your passions that I know you're very passionate about is your cycling. Yes. Tell me a bit about your cycling. Where, where did that start from? Tell you about the cycling. Well, it's... Um, I usually tell kids when I go out to school to talk about stuff which I've done in the past is say I have two jobs one I get paid for and one I have to pay for <laughs> and cycling is the one uh, I have to pay for I started um, as a kid you know bike touring stuff like that and then got hooked into the racing with um, local time trial which is like a little loop that you you know go around by yourself against the clock and then as a teenager got more involved in doing you know the group racing with other guys and uh it's a good it's a good it's good to do any kind of sport like that when you're young because there's so many risks and it's a bit crazy to think back when people ask me advice now about stuff I say well I learned that as a teenager and uh, you know uh so it's a little like we had we had like four races where we had like the baptism of fire remember all national caliber races and one of them was with the next town over and the Junior Worlds team showed up for the race. And there was this team of young kids and we had to wait for the race to start. We'd already done two races in our life. And then this is the third one. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then this guy finally shows up. It's one of us, a teenager. He's on the, he's on the pavement on the side of the road and he's warming up on rollers, which is like this stationary thing. It's like, who the hell is this guy that we're waiting for him to start the race? It was uh, Greg LeMond who oh, wow. won the Tour de France multiple times. Yeah, back when yeah, he was a, yeah, legend. Back when he was a junior. He's like a year above or behind me or whatever. But uh, yeah, it was, we laugh about that like later. Like, they, even back then, he was like the consummate professional. He's famous for having this journal that he wrote into it saying, uh, this year I will win the World Championships. This year I'll win the Tour de France. This year I'll do this. And when you go back and look at the dates, he hit them all exactly. It's like some very driven, focused guy. Anyway, yeah. So, that, uh, teenager bike racing, and then starting and, and, and stopping. And that was back in the U.S., was it? Back in the U.S., yeah. And then starting and stopping racing over the years because of health problems and you know getting injured and had a bad knee and and then over the years slowly ignored all the doctor's advice to never cycle again and built my body back up. So, well, at least a few years ago, I was probably stronger than I was as a teenager. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not stronger than that now, but, uh, yeah, it's just something to do. Hmm. So, but you obviously, you, you love it. You love the being outside, being outdoors. It's complicated, but yes. Um, it's like anything else you do all the time. It's love-hate. 
Mm. It's a part of it's a part of me, so it's not really. It's not a question of not doing it. Okay. Uh, there were years where I wasn't doing it, and it was kind of depressing. But I, I don't know how to do anything else particularly well, and it's so it's a combination of things. One, it gets me out of the house. Two, it, of all the sports in the world, it, it, you cover the most ground. You're seeing more, and being a curious guy. I swam briefly, like particularly indoor swimming, and okay, fine. I could, I'd rather meditate than swim in a mm -hmm. pool. It's just immersing myself in this cold puddle in an artificial environment. I just thought, what the hell? You know, no yeah. way. Because cycling is about moving, and you're going up over hill and dale. You're seeing things. You're there's lots of stuff to do. And the racing itself is it's very complicated. It's you need to be like a race car driver. You need to be a long-distance athlete, and you need to be like a tactician, like a footballer, to, to execute your strategy. So mm -hmm. you're doing multiple things at once. There's no other sport that has so much going on. Mm -hmm. like any, any sport that's like a race car driver, like downhill skiing, or it involves really high speed, very dangerous stuff, split-second timing. You don't, I mean, like skiing, you don't have the tactics. There's no <coughs> game. Uh, and and you don't have that long distance endurance in any kind of long distance sport. Most of them are just like, like triathlons. Like, uh, put your brain on hold and go. <laughs> now I couldn't do triathlon either because yeah. there's nothing to think about. Uh, with bike racing, it's constantly. It's every second there's something to think about. There's always a problem to solve. And uh, so I think that's why I ended up sticking with it. And now I just do it because it's the only thing I can do to keep me. Fit something that I want to do. Uh, so I'm lucky in that respect. That and, and do you still race? Off and on. Mm. Um, I stopped racing here a couple of years ago. I pushed myself racing in this league for veterans, which has a lot of hot shots, like ex-professionals. And, and I pushed myself to try to win one particular race, which I did. And then... I haven't raced a lot since. It's too hard on the body. I mean, mm. uh, because I work for myself, I have to temper how much effort I put in and mm. how much work I get done. And uh, but do you enjoy going out? Just going out for just for a spin? I mostly just go out. Yeah. And you're happy enough without having to be competitive? Yeah, it comes and goes. Like every two or three years, the fact that I'm doing it from the from since I was a teenager to now must must show that I figured out how to pace myself, you know, alternating years where there's a lot of racing and not much. I still do a little bit, like I'll, I'll race in the club stuff, which is brutally hard on my body if you're not doing it all the time. It's the mm. kind of thing you need to be doing it at that level constantly, mm. or it's really a strain. And um, uh, in a few, I mean, what, if you were, if you haven't cycled, what, what's, what would be your ultimate cycling race? Like if you were to pick one, and I want to go and do this race, I always wanted to do. But as a young kid or something, any professional like thing, professional anything. If you could pick one, would you do the Tour de France? Would you do the Giro? No, not the no, none of those stage races. Those are crazy, and they're not good for your health. <laughs> I'm, I'm more of a fan of like these. The cycling season is 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 a very traditional thing. It's full of, mm. and they have races that have been going on for a hundred years plus. And this is races, the season's kind of divided up. They have these big grand multi-day middle part of the season. And then the uh, in the spring, they have what they call the spring classics. 
and that would be by far my most uh, favorite mm. to watch. And if you know, if if in some other life I had the body for it, but uh, there's particularly a race called the Tour Flanders, Ron van Flanderen. Oh yeah, that's uh, which is considered to be the World Championships for the Belgians. <laughs> and there's another one that's hillier called Liège Baston Liège that is equally difficult. Both of those you don't win without being a complete stud, you know. And one day racing is, is, is somehow a lot more intense than like a three week race because um, it's all happening in that, and it mm. lasts about six hours. They're very long, they're like close to 300K. Yeah. They're brutal, they're absolutely brutal. So, yeah. yeah. Very good. Um, so I ask you to pick some t some songs, and the first one I put down is uh, Bruce Springsteen's Thunder Road. I thought it was quite uh, apt with the talking of the cycle. <laughs> well, tell me about it. You were specific about it had to be the solo version live. Yeah, and I listened well, to well, it. I've gotten very particular with the music. That was one thing looking at all the music. Mm. Because I'm a writer and a creator of stuff and editing, you hear one version of something that's like, that one doesn't cut it. You know, like, uh, and I'm not really that interested in Bruce Springsteen. I didn't used to listen to him growing up. I can remember, like, learning who he was after he was already big and, and asking somebody, like, who the hell is that? <laughs> the music didn't sound that interesting to me. It sounded very ordinary. But um, what's great about that, he does a few versions of his songs that are solo and acoustic, and that, it's storytelling. That one in particular is is it's about a story, uh, and a lot of the music that I really like is it gets closer and closer to what I do anyway for work, which is storytelling, and that's a story. And some of it, and also I like stories. I get very emotional listening to music, mm -hmm. and uh, like it's, I try to divide it between like a lot of time I listen to like sweet, beautiful female music. But there's this other half of me that listens to very male stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I try to include on there, as you hear, like angry young man. It was really hard to, to, because there's thousands of them. Sure. But there's definitely the angry man part of me. And uh, the storytelling. And then, but the storytelling is in the middle of There's so many choices. But that one is great. And there's some great lines in there. Like the, the thing about... Um, it's also very American, and the longer I live out of America, like Americana really evokes, it's very emotional. Like you don't realize that you're carrying an attachment to something, but that that whole evoking that whole thing about the small town and the leaving, it's really like the whole thing about America and you're leaving your house and you're leaving home and you're you're graduating from high school and you're becoming this thing. It's so huge in your life at that as a, at a young age uh and i remember i don't know if you saw the film goodwill hunting oh yeah um there's there's a great line in there where the guy he goes to pick up his friend uh, and he comes out on the porch and he walks down and he, at one point his buddy says oh you know screw it i'm not going to do this thing blah 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 he says you know what you know, screw you, you know, we we can't do this thing, you can't, anyway, he says, the, 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 the most beautiful day, something, I'm paraphrasing, the most beautiful days for me is when I go, when I show up at your house to pick you up, and you're not there, Yeah. 
<laughs> so that, that would be my best day. And that porch thing is so evocative because in that song, he has this thing that says uh, something like, um, are you ready to take that long walk from the your front porch to my back seat? Your front porch to my front seat. Yeah. And that just, that just kills me, that, that idea that there's that gulf, that huge step. Uh, and in this case, he's being flowery, and it's supposed to be this Catholic American girl, and right. she's breaking this thing, and she's going to go with this guy. But just that idea of crossing the porch, mm. stepping into a car, and then the idea that the car is freedom, and the car is in America. You can hop in your car and drive for a week straight and mm. hit nothing but America. Mm. You know, and that's very big in the, in, I think foreigners dream about it, but Americans, it's, it's that thing like, I could get in the car now, just go. Yeah. You point it that way. And, uh, there's another line in there, it's like, you know, there's nothing, nothing left to do but to roll down the windows and let the wind blow back your hair. Yeah. The night it's open and there's two, these two wheels would take, four wheels would take us anywhere. Like that. Yeah. Anyway, that all, that, but, it's, it, and that is, is evocative for me, but it just in general, it's great storytelling. Yeah. Uh, and there's Tom Waits and um, Leonard Cohen are also songwriters that are covered by other people. My other, I was desperately trying to pick between two, but Tori Amos does the absolute best version of, of a Leonard Cohen song called Torn Blue Raincoat. Yeah, beautiful song, yeah. But there's no there's no other version but hers. Right. She owns it, and if you haven't heard it, yeah, yeah. you have to listen to it because it's just like, whoa, you know. It's, she really she's kind of can be kind of too much because she does every song so intensely. Yeah, but, that's um, right. But she, that song is her. Like that's that one's like whoa. That's me and I want you Don't turn me on again I just can't face myself alone again Don't you run back inside, darling You know just what I'm here for So you're scared, you're thinking Maybe we ain't that young As you're talking about um, America and growing up in America, uh, I was going to ask you something about your growing up. I read a few things about you grew up in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Yes. Is that right? So, yeah, tell me a bit about it. It's a small could. town uh, north of Boston, about an hour north of Boston on a train line. So it was a mixture of people, um, commuters that would go to work into Boston. So city types and also country types. Real simple people, like real simple people. In Europe, you call them peasants, and in, in, in America, we're not allowed to call them peasants, okay. but they were peasants. Okay. <laughs> uh, two brothers down the road used to deliver newspapers in this iron wheelbarrow. If you know what an iron wheelbarrow is, like the front yeah, wheel yeah. is just iron, there's nothing on there. Yeah. And they'd hand deliver the newspapers, and they both were kind of touched in a funny way. The big guy, it was kind of like that stuff like Mice and Men, that was the big brother, and he always had a shaved hair 
and he was a big guy and he, he, he just like pushed the wheelbarrow and then there was Gardner who was like this hyperactive kid he did that thing like you know like this mm. and, he was, and he'd, he'd hold the papers and he'd, he'd walk like this and then he'd, he'd throw the newspapers down you could hear them coming because that iron wheelbarrow like, yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> You have all the way up to like there were rich people that lived there because the estate, the Crane Estate, that's there's a huge beach in Ipswich that's one of the best known beaches in, in the Northeast. It's owned by the Crane Estate. It's been in many, many Hollywood films. That whole area has been shot before, but they made their money in making toilets of all things, crane toilets. You see the crane toilets all over the world. <laughs> but that's all been sold um, and it's in a trust, so it's protected. And so the town is very rural because it is, there's a lot of wetlands, just like Ipswich in England, which is why it was called Ipswich. Okay. So it's vast salt marshes, which are, to me, are, are very evocative. When I go home, again, I get that little emotional thing when I see the, mm. the salt marsh, like, shooting out. If you've never seen a salt marsh, it's quite bleak, and, but it's evocative. And so you can't build on that. So you have these vast stretches of land that can't be built on. And also there's some very wealthy American old money that have estates. And they're mostly farming, but they take up huge amounts of land. So that isn't built on. So for the most part, my hometown didn't change for like the better part of 50 years. But now it's changing. Hmm. Money has come to town. Right. <laughs> if there was anybody that there that didn't have money... They're packing their bags and the screen doors, hitting them on the ass and the way out. Uh, yeah, it's really become a bit like what's happening to Greystones. Money is just coming in. Money, money, right. money. Right. And uh, so it's... But back when I was growing up, it was a mixture of lots of different people. And there was a group of so-called bohemians. My father was an artist and worked at home. He did children's books as well. So he was working upstairs my whole life. But there were other people in town, including the, most, the famous one which was Mr. Updike, John Updike, mm. he's a famous, uh, sure. he's considered one of the great American novelists, sure. and, uh, Run, so he time. lived across the way, and we were all friends, and their kids were our friends, and they're still there, and they're, we're friends with their kids, and my best friend's family, they intermarried and all this sort of stuff, and my parents were, were sort of mentioned in a couple of the books, that kind of a thing, but, so, they had that weird New England world where they satellited around Mr. Updike, and it was just a weird thing. And then there was sort of local... Ipswich is also known for its clams, you know, it's mm -hmm. delicious things, so there'd be clamors, that, and there would be, you know, a rough bunch, and then oddballs like us in the middle. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so a lot of eccentric people, but also a lot of city people, you know, that got off, on and off the train. But it was quasi-rural at that time. So I grew up on the river. We did a lot of boating stuff, so I've been on the water a lot. My father, even though he grew up in Central Square in Cambridge, a real city rat, he fell in love with boats. And we lived right on a tidal river, like literally 10 feet in front of the house. Um, it was tidal, which meant that there was no water in the river twice a day, and it was huge. So we could, we could get on there and which we would get in there in a, in, a, in a rowboat and row out to the sea, which was about five miles away. Wow. Used to do that kind of thing when we were kids. And it would freeze over in the winter. Uh, and I never did the stupid thing of uh, ice pack hopping, which is like it would freeze. 
because it was a tidal river, it would freeze thick, but it never could freeze solid because the water would drain out and the ice would come down and it would crack mm. as it hit the concave uh, convex right. uh, bottom of the river and come up. So it was always huge chunks of ice. And I never did it because it's so dangerous. But uh, kids used to do that all, every winter. They'd go out and hop from ice pack to ice pack and try to make it across the river. So quite, quite, a, quite a nice um, childhood, though. Yes, um, it's different for most people in that we had, my father worked upstairs the whole time and my mother was at home and she worked and then we did work with him uh, later on and off over the years. So having someone that worked in a room upstairs in the house all the time was different, for better and for worse. Mm. And, uh, and yes, and then slowly I started working, did work for him because I was lazy and didn't have any imagination <laughs> and uh, eventually like at different times we were all doing certain bits of work on some books okay. and that's how I, I just drifted into what I do for work because of that yeah I drifted you know and I just was working on a book one of his he's he, beca he became particularly well known for doing a series of books on how to draw but using very very basic shapes and they're still famous and he's, he's becoming more well known actually it's taken forever but he's become more well-known now than he was uh, for many years. Beloved by young artists that have, you know, remembered learning how to draw from him. But anyway, he, I was working on one of those books and I could never really imitate anybody else. And so I, I was getting to the stage where I was trying to do a whole section of the book to speed things up. And it was dinosaurs. It was a big book of things to draw that are green. And this was the dinosaur section. And I couldn't make them look quite enough like his style. So he said, "Why don't you just do like three more of those and see if we can, see if we can sell it as a book?" And it was like better than paying me. Like it would, somebody else would pay me instead of him. And so uh, I took it down to his editor. I took it down to his editor, and uh, they said, "Yeah." Uh, there was no gift, though. They wouldn't. They wouldn't buy something that they didn't think they could sell. But it wasn't. You know, I never thought of it as anything I was going to do permanently. And that was also kind of a derivative project because it was. You know, I, did, I wasn't really doing any thinking. I didn't do much thinking in those days. Like, in my head, it's like, as we would say, I'm a zipper, I was a zipper head. I just had nothing, you know, just nothing, thinking about nothing. You know, all the same things you think of as a young, a teen and a young man. It's just, you know, uh, cycling, sex, girls, food, sleep, that's it. You know. I'm going to ask you more about the illustration. Um the song, one of the songs you have, it's a lovely song by Bonnie Raitt, uh, "Angel from Montgomery." Yeah, I could have picked any song from. I I, I tried to pick out all the all the criteria for picking music. I've I've seen I've seen Bonnie more times than anybody else, so she was around. Uh, you know, as a young person, we're going out. I've had so many different pockets, phases of my life, and that's where the music is sort of evocative of different pockets. And there was like this pocket living in the city and doing stuff and uh, listening to Bonnie. So I'm a city Northeast guy, but she's real Texas, but she's real American. And she's absolutely amazing. I couldn't pick just one. I was just listening to her when you came in. Uh, she's one of the greatest guitar players ever. She's just amazing. And she also makes me cry. You know, she's unbelievable. That's a great song. She, she rarely writes her own stuff. She's a huge booster of, of small songwriters. So she's recorded hundreds of songwriters. Um, 
She's only written like five songs or something. Uh, but that one is just, she does like three or four real heartbreakers earlier in her career. And I just pulled up a thing. That's from her, like her first album. It's like 1976. She already sounded like an accomplished blues singer back then. You could hear like depth and age, and, and which is bizarre in a young woman. And I just pulled up a tape. It was 2016. She can still do it. I can still, cr it's just like, yeah. breaks my heart listening to her voice. Yeah. And she can just really jam too. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw her in a couple places where she just like <coughs> rocked the place. I mean, literally the paint was coming off the walls. People were just <laughs> going nuts. And it's hard to imagine like live music a lot of live music I've seen bands um, like there was a song I had to take off or did I leave it on there Hunters and Collectors Throw Your Arms Around Me I, I went to see Hunter, this, this, these bands in Australia years ago when I was traveling they, they also and I saw them a couple more times later but again they literally had people going into primal states they were just going wild and I bought the record and there was nothing it was dead you know absolutely boh dead uh, and that song was really evocative to me just because it was so it was everywhere in Australia at the time and it was a huge song and every club we went into everybody was playing the song they were all throwing their arms around each other when when the when the lyric came on and uh, but Bonnie was also of that time where yeah uh, you know a lot of formative stuff young person you're dating and you're making friends and you're out in the working world and she yeah it's just hard to explain she could do everything from completely break your heart to just rock it out and she was a woman she was gorgeous she was always gorgeous um still is uh so that heady combination she was just never it was never bad like and she always had, you know, one of those people that always had the best musicians yeah. of their type she was real texas so real American, you know, blues, and she could play blues guitar. She plays with a, what they used to call like beer bottle slide. slide yeah. She she has a thing she put over her hand and does a slide. But they they used to do it with a beer bottle. That's right. Um, she doesn't. She can play lap steel, which is similar. But yeah. this is it's kind of like a, a translation of lap steel when yeah, playing yeah, it kind yeah. of thing. Very good. But, but there's nothing particular about that one song or the lyrics other than it's just, you know, a real heartbreaker. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, no. And I like to listen to stuff that's very emotional. Yeah. Um, half of my work is either... I'm just interested in emotion. And I, so that... I'm always thrilled by stuff that evokes that in me. Hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be... You know, schmaltzy, some schmaltzy stuff does, uh, I'm really admire of, I, I love this guy Curtis that did Four Weddings and a Funeral and stuff in his movies. Other people pick him apart, but I think he's amazing, absolutely amazing, the way he can sketch characters in such a short period of time. And some of these songs I like for the same reason that they evoke um, something, but, but, but yeah, but not real schmaltz music. I, I will listen to some of it, but um, but that but she will do stuff that's just really you know, real heartbreaking. I am an old woman named after my mother. My old man is another child. Is
but that that brings me to the question I have for you on the, on your on your work on your illustration work. Um, I read somewhere, I think, on the on the web on your website that you kind of got into illustration because you were too lazy to do anything else, yes. and it was kind of you needed a job. So that was mm. how you got in. Start to help your mm. dad, and uh, and obviously you've been doing that for a while. Forever. Uh, forever. So it's now. I can't do anything else. I'm trapped. <laughs> You're trapped. Okay. <laughs> Plus, I've, gone uh, down, I've gone down a cool day sack. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, well, so that from that first uh, journey, that first journey you did with your dad, we went to the editor, you got your first book deal, and and then you just carried on from there. So do you, tell me a little bit about, do you specialize in a particular area of illustration? or Children's books. Only, children's, only children's I've books. I've done other stuff, but only peripherally. Hmm. Uh, children's books is the only thing that I've been able to make money at. I keep telling my wife that um, well, she doesn't believe if I didn't have to work, I'd stop tomorrow. Would you? It's too much work. Right. It's too difficult. I, I don't find it easy. I find it easy to do little things, but I don't find it easy to do the whole thing uh, across. Who knows? You know, a friend of mine would say that's, you know, it's, it's bull, you know, you wouldn't sit around doing nothing. But I, but I, but I, I can say that it's extremely difficult for me to to finish projects and make them right. It's never what I hear or see in my head what I'd like it to be. I'm also lazy, so I don't I don't spend nearly enough time developing my craft. For better or for worse, you know, some people do spend their whole life developing their craft, you know, and they sit, you know, but then I could be dead by now because those kind of people, some of them, you know, most artists and cyclists, they never cross paths. You know, artist types, like some of them never even see the light of day. Mm. You know, they're real. And they're, they're, a lot of them aren't particularly healthy. And I don't know any artists <laughs> who, who are athletic. So those two worlds rarely cross. So I could have devoted more time and become better, possibly at either one. But I'm, for better or for worse and for... Partly by decision and partly by circumstance, I've become a little of both. So it's a long way of around, around to getting to it. The kind of books that I do are basically what I'm allowed to do to make money. Okay. <laughs> but it isn't all completely cynical because, like, by chance, I think I found <clears throat> what I liked to do, which was, I think, if I hadn't done books, I maybe would have gone into performance or something because I'm very interested in films and movies and theater and performance and music and but the performance of it and the expression of it I've never been particularly interested in dance but I love drawing movement and, and gesture and so I've become very interested in that and that, that crosses over from my interest in film and music and stuff is expressing something and being and because of I'm so hyper aware of my emotions and thoughts and and stuff and being and I really appreciate when someone else expresses that whether it's in song or theater or dance or music or something particularly in film or in comedy um, that I admire that so much that that's kind of what drives me at this point too, that I enjoy the idea of trying to express something that comes close to what it is that I feel so, would yeah. the, for example, would the animation now be the next uh, natural move? Oh, would have yeah. I've always been interested and would have loved it, but um, the problem with it is that it's 
bloody tedious work. Okay. You need to be a certain kind of anal retentive person because if you've ever seen like um, what's it, Paul Thomas Anderson, the one about the foxes, do you know he has to, it's 24 frames a second. Yeah, yeah. It's 24 bloody little tweaks per second of film. Hmm. That's not me. Okay. <laughs> I love to do it. I would love to be the director. You be, yeah, and write the <laughs> storyboard. And, and then uh, have some other dweebs sure. sit there and tweak the little things and make a hundred drawings. I, okay. I, I could, I, what I do is a form of shorthand animation. It's, it's, it's a little bit like a comic book. It's a little bit like an mm. animated film. But doing a children's picture book is very much like a film. You've got a blank piece of paper. You've got a story to tell. Okay, You need to have a script. I need to write it. I need to have a story. So if... if I write and illustrate and sometimes both. But say I'm doing both. It's like doing a film. You've got a story to tell from beginning to end. You need it needs to have characters. You need sure. to cast it. You need they need to ha wear something. Mm. You have to dress them. You have to costume them. There has to be scenes. There have to be props. There have to be sets. There has to be timing. There has to be lighting. None of that stuff. People that don't draw or make art forget about the fact that er nothing. That's a white piece of paper. There's nothing on the paper. It's a piece of paper, and then there's little lines on the paper. Mm -hmm. So not only is there a thing, there's this illusion that there's something on the paper instead of just mugs of, of black lines and color. You're you're thinking that it's a thing, but then even once I've tricked you into thinking that there's a thing, I have to think of what it is that I'm tricking you to see. Right. It doesn't happen. I know there are some artists that just kind of, whoa, man, I just do what I do and I put <laughs> what I put, and I'm like, yeah, man. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really happen like that. It's very few people that are accomplished. You have to make a million decisions. Where's it going to be? What are the buildings? What are the people? What are they going to say? How are they going to talk? How, are they, how do they stand? Are they fat? Are they skinny? Are they tall? You know, how do they move? Are they, are they happy people? Are they sad people? Are they nervous people? Are they chatty people? Are they quiet people? And what, how, what's the pace of the story? You have to be a director. What are the series of scenes? A, a book, a picture book is a series of page turns. So like a, like a serial novel, like a Dickens, where you released a series of chapters, every picture book has so many page turns. So the story has to be told in the context of those page turns. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a reveal. It's a break in the action of something. And, and like a film, you need dialogue, characters, sets, costume, lighting, pacing, um, the only thing you don't have is music. <laughs> but, but tell me something. Is it, um, the one thing that always fascinates me, um, yeah, obviously that's all. So you prepare for a project, you'll be given a project, you need to come up with all the things you just said. So you, you, you must be looking at things in a different way than I would normally look. So if you're sitting in a coffee shop or you know, preparing for that particular project, you're starting to look at, okay, that particular character walking in, having a coffee could be my character in my story and it could be but it's never that specific okay there are times when that happens you know mysteriously or serendipitously but it's ba mainly based on a lifetime of looking at how you look at things what do you remember when you look at people like when i did my first book that would have been written and illustrated by me ruby which would be at the end of the end of the 80s came out in 1990, so I would have been doing it at the end of the 80s. It's a long time ago. But I still was a young person. I was born in 1960, so in the 80s I would have been, you know, under 30. But it just depends on how you live your life and how you look at things and how you look at people and how you remember. And 
what it turned out I liked was how people spoke, but also, it's, it's also a reflection of other books. You're aping a lot of other things, mm. and to pretend that you don't steal from people is to is to to lie to yourself. You're always stealing, and you should steal openly. And in that book is is, is a good example of that I was writing this thing because I've always had this thing about lying, and I wanted to do a story about lying, and it was originally called Lorelei, and and I'm doing this thing, and I'm like, you know what, this this is Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> so I had two choices. One was um, scrap it and do something else, or embrace my inner Red Riding Hood. So I just made it. It's basically um, an openly open um, spoof, whatever, take off in Little Red Riding Hood. It just happens that Little Red Riding Hood has a bit about lying, only, only my version included something which it's always been a thing in my head. Like, I think that's where you get informed. What you want to do is, I always hated lying. It was, you know, emotional thing for me growing up and having anybody lie to me or finding out about that someone was capable of lying. The first time I witnessed someone lying cold when I knew they were lying was a shock. Hmm. I remember seeing a film about con artists and having a nightmare and waking up and having my mother come in, and, and I couldn't really explain. But over the years, I've thought back and said, there was something about the fact that these were con artists, and they were able to... It's called The Flim Flam Man with George C. Scott. And it just freaked me out, the fact that people could speak and tell lies. And we know that that happens even today, particularly in global politics. Mm -hmm. um, it was really frightening. So anyway, this my version of Little Riding Hood which was a reflection of how I looked at things, was that there's there's two characters, really two uh, wolves. One's a cat and one is a lizard. And the lizard is a bad character, but he's very openly bad. And the cat is a liar and he's very smooth and he's very polite. And to me, that's always that was always something in my head, like this horror. That's the real horrible person is the one you don't know a horrible person that comes up to you and they're openly horrible it's like they're honest they're actually honest there's an honesty to someone you know that acts like that whereas the other one always bothered me as being worse so that that's the kind of thing that it sticks in your head and when you're doing stuff you think yeah i'd like to evoke that thing that i hate so much or like so much or feel deeply about or just enjoy trying to get it across and then that, that informs even if it's not the main uh, on the surface not the point of the thing you always have to find something and I wouldn't go out looking for it necessarily uh, unless uh, there was some part of the project that was stumping me you know and which is often the case with any kind of art project but you get 90% of it done and then that last 10% can sometimes take weeks or months I'm gonna ask you a little bit more. So when I yeah. when I put it out on the on the social media that uh, I was having a conversation with you, I got a great response from a lot of the illustrators around Ireland. So and <laughs> a lot of people would like to know more. But but the song you have here, um, Billy Bragg, uh, pig song. Which one is it? The Billy Bragg. Yeah, I could again. I have more Billy. I just put him in because I have more Billy Bragg records than anything on there. So I thought, well, I I should. That makes sense to put. Him on there. What's about Billy Bragg that you're reading? Well, that one is, um, well, there's so many of them. Sure, yeah. um, But he's an angry young man, or he was an angry young man. I was an angry, an angry old, old man. man. 
He's really a, a socialist guy. I'm not completely socialist. I don't I don't think it, it works completely the way he would. But he's a, but he's ha he's angry, and um, I love his, you know, the, the angry electric guitar playing. Yeah. And, but the picked one is also it's, it's a storytelling. He does a lot of quiet stuff that I really like, but he's I think his his real forte is angry, and that one's just storytelling about it's basically about um how little people will basically it's one of the lines says will will rise up in hordes and dance on your grave do you know the song yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it reminds me of this other song that i love elvis costello who's i don't think i put he's on he's on yeah because he's probably the second most and a lot of both of these guys as a sign of genius half of their stuff is complete crap Mm -hmm. But I think that's a sign of genius. That there's certain particular ones though that are great, and um, that pick song is about the little things. I can't bring up all the lines, but <coughs> sure, it's yeah. like it starts with Rome and the hordes and the something. But it's also angry, and it has that muscular male guitar in there, and it's just like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna just swarm over you and dance on your grave it's like it's like let it all out man let it out Billy just just and um I think the Elvis song I picked was also one of his angry ones but he does very nice sweet stuff as well mm -hmm. but I like that one because it, the the Elvis one as well because it shows off his experimental side he never stops experimenting and I like that one because it's just angry you know, it's like Armageddon again. It's just like the bugs are going to take over and just eat everything. So just give it up. And the music is just like... Ah, ah, ah. This giant insect mutation is going to eat the nation. And Billy Bragg, they both can do that thing. Like uh, Elvis has a song that's done in an Irish style. He was married to um, one of the women from the Pogues for a while. And... He did a, some songs with Irish Tilt, and he does this song called Tramp the Dirt Down. Do you know it? Yeah. Oh, it's brutal. Uh, you know, it's all about Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. And, uh, can you imagine all the greed and Aravis? And, uh, can, you, can, you, can you imagine all the greed and... I'm not saying the word right. What's the word? Aravis? Avarice? Yeah, Avarice. Avarice, oh, the yeah. greed and avarice. avarice coming down on that child's lips. He's trying to describe a, like a political poster where she's kissing a child. That's right, yeah. And then we're going to, of course, the, the meaning is we're going to stand, I'm going to stand on your grave and try, I hope, I hope that you live long enough to, or I, hope I live long enough to savor it that when you, they finally put you on the ground, I'll stand over mm. and mm. tramp the dirt. <laughs> I just love that because it's just like, let it out like I can't do that in children's books um, in fact most adults won't do it most Hollywood won't do it they just don't go to that primal place like I want to dance in your grave like that's you know, I, I, that's emotion <laughs> uh, so I like that Rome never looks where she treads always her heavy hooves fall on our stomachs, our hearts, or our heads. And Rome never heeds when we call. Her centuries pass on, that is all. And we get.
gather behind them in hordes and plot to reconquer their war with only our tongues for our swords for we are the little folk we too little to love or to hate leave us alone Was that a few illustrators? I don't know. We'll get to this early. Yeah, no, we'll get to that. No, just just a few few. Um, uh, no, what I was going to ask you is, um, I, I love illustration in all kinds, and they obviously do children's books. But uh, for example, there's, there's a girl, young girl at the moment uh, in, in Dublin. She's doing this beautiful series of uh, the Dublin bu Dublin bus um, illustrations. She just mm. writes. Uh, Sarah Bowie is her name. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm hoping to have her on the as sure. a guest in the future. But um, and if you look at her, she she really picks some really interesting stories that are happening every day on the bus. Now, her drawings or the way she put it, they're completely different from anybody else. And just what I, what I'm I'm trying to get at. Um, so your dad was an illustrator. Your, your sister is an illustrator as well. She's she, an author. She did a bit. Yeah, she, she did doesn't bit. do much. Okay, now, but uh, but I mean, was there was there a um, I mean, were you comparing notes? Were you uh, against each other in a way when you when you with were who? with your sister, with your dad, when you started to do your own no, illustration? Thank God. Was there, was thank there... God, we were doing different styles. Okay. So we did show our stuff a little bit, but my father would been too afraid to do that, and he would admittedly be worried about taking the responsibility of messing something up. So he he was very tight with comments of any kind pro or mm. so uh, yeah both of my parents were quite taciturn about the whole thing I mean who knows why it's like that's, yeah, yeah. that's deep psychology but no yeah. not my sister because no my sister and I probably would have killed each other if we had um, uh, <laughs> uh, tried to connect and my wife and I connect and uh, look at each other's stuff but it's also a very dangerous place to go yeah you know, it's uh... <laughs> no. The reason I'm asking because I'm meeting so many different people doing different things, and that's the beauty of this whole little project I'm putting together. Um, and like I had a travel writer on the show, and it's really interesting character Paul from um, from Greystones, Paul Canilla. And as I was saying to him at the time, I think at one point in my life I wanted to be a travel writer. I thought this is mm. the best job mm. in the world, and then. You know, I love illustration, I love art, and I oh, love, love the job, you know, we'd love to be. But, I mean, obviously, you already told me what, what it takes to to create a piece of art, which then goes in a book format as a children's book, but it's 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 an art form, and it's, it's a quite a complicated art form. It's more not, work than you'd like it to be. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, in terms of the industry, is it, is it really hard, is it really difficult industry for yes. a new illustrator coming yes. along? Them? It is. Okay. Yes. So they would have to wait for you to leave a space to no, get no, in. No, 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 <laughs> no. They, 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 they usurp me all the time. It's been a, it's been a difficult several years. Uh, in the desert, but we have gotten some more interest from stuff now. For better, again, for better or for worse, it's, it's extremely difficult. And I don't know how technical you want to get about the publishing industry and children's books, but essentially it, it went through its 
scare period like music did with technology. Mm. Um, it's nowhere near at the point that music is, but it, they still are baffled. I find industry people in publishing haven't a clue what's going on from, from the first day I walked in until today. They haven't a clue what's going on. Mm. They're all fumbling in the dark. That doesn't mean that they're idiots. It just means that it's the kind of industry where like nobody knows. Nice. They're just trying stuff. They're throwing it against the wall, and if it sticks, you know. And in recent years, it's gradually, when I started doing it, it people thought it was cool. You know, it's like, oh, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm an illustrator. Doing what? Oh, children's books. Oh. Oh. Oh, that, and either, it's either like, oh, shucks, or, wow, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, no, no. Well, now what's gotten to be is it's very trendy. Uh, writing as well as illustrating in children's books and everybody everybody and his sister wants to be a writer or an illustrator or a book person in children's books it's so cool I want to do it so it's very crowded and what we've got is a ton of people who are some of whom are really good again for better and for worse um, but, there's a, but there's been there, there are new programs in universities now that's you okay. know in children's books and various stuff there's there's there are avenues that weren't there when I was doing it. Um, and so there's a lot more people trying it. And because there's so many of them, two things are happening. One, publishers are having their desk covered with more stuff than ever before, and they have to swim through it. Mm. Thousands of stuff, thousands mm. of submissions per week. You know, like, it's unbelievable. It's right. avalanche. So getting somebody's attention um, is one problem. And the two is that because a lot, there's so much coming in, there's a lot of people that are quite good young people they're very very good and their stuff is great and it's getting published some cynical things you can pay a newcomer less uh some of them are getting a ton of money but some of them aren't right um some of them don't have a second book it's kind of like with musicians you know they work the first 10 years on an album and then they want the the record company says okay i want another album in six months Mm. that's asking a lot and so some of them can do it some of them can't so I, I'm hoping, and I think the industry has calmed down a bit, so they're being a bit more open-minded again about a mix of young and experienced, experienced being me and young being others. And uh, for they, somebody that wants to embark in that that world, I mean, is it? I mean, is it self-publishing another problem at the no. moment? No. No. Self-publishing is not really. An issue. I wouldn't recommend anybody do it. I mean, it depends on what you're doing, but um, so it's the very real, risky. Yeah. It's very risky, and yes, things do happen. Mm. But you know, people win the lottery as well. Sure, sure, sure. People win the Olympics. People win yeah. the World Cup, but they but, don't all win the World yeah, Cup. No, they don't. Only one. <laughs> so, and the Tour de France is two hundred guys. Only one guy wins. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. If you want to win a bike race, you can enter the Tour de France. But if you want to win a bike race, I wouldn't give you the advice of enter the Tour de France sure. because your chances are very small. Right. It's not impossible, but it's very small. So I would suggest that they do. Yeah, if I was a young person today, I'd, I'd go to school a bit and relax and learn and see if you want to do it. Go and talk to people. One of the things my father, good advice my father always gave me was go and talk to people that do it is you think you might want to do because your life is not going to be all work it's going to be doing other things you want to say what do they do in their spare time what kind of food do they eat how much vacation do they have what kind of music do they listen to do you even want to talk to any of them if you meet a bunch of them and and they're all assholes you don't want to talk to them you might want to rethink about going into that business Mm. uh, because it's more it's more than just doing something you're picking a life and 
not all illustrators work the same way. They don't have the same lifestyle. Um, most of them, at a certain point, get married and have kids. I didn't, but it was just circumstance. But so their lives completely change. So you can't really completely put them in a box. But there's certain things, there's commonality. You have to spend a lot of time alone. You have to do a lot of thinking. There's a lot of pressure. You need to be able to work if you're going to do books. Um, normal illustration is hustling up um, an illustration job two or three a week to keep your rent paid. With a book, you're hustling possibly for years to get one book, but then you are working on it for a year. It's a, it's a different kind of a head. Like somebody gives you this book and you have to do the whole thing. And, they, you know, so my... I'm used to it now because it's been my whole life, but it's you need to think about whether you could do a whole long thing and then do another one and do you like that kind of thing. If you really, 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 really like it, the chances are you'll figure out a way yourself to, to bullhead your way in and make it happen. But you really need to decide what it is you'd like to do and not just like, well, I'd kind of like to do that because it sounds yeah. kind of cool and it's kind of neat. And I, I like this guy, Michael Emery, does this thing. And I kind of like, no, you might, might want to think hard. Like people like to ride their bike. The Tour de France means 20 years of not seeing your family and getting sick and ending up probably taking drugs just to keep your body from falling apart. You want to think about th that is the Tour de France. Yeah. That's not cycling. And children's books is a certain thing. It's not just drawing funny little pictures. Mm. It's it's work. It's serious. It's thoughtful. It the best stuff. Um, you can do stuff. You can do commercial. You know, um, schmaltzy, idiotic stuff. But even that's going to be work. Sure. Uh, but you need to be able to be willing to put in time at your work table and long hours and uh, but that your dad's advice and it's very good that you know go and find out from the people you think you want to become you know do you want to become that person yeah and is that a person you want to be and everything that goes with it yeah, that's, <laughs> so the, the the song at the end of this bit here is we're going to play the elvis costello hurry down doomsday which we already talked about it they did not an angry young Have man you heard that, it? yeah yeah no i love elvis costello he's one of my favorites elvis and uh, and uh, Tom Waits and all that, that would be my type of music. Yeah, so I like his, well, the music, there's a million of them I could have picked. Um, because it's not really formative years for me. His early stuff would have been more formative. But, you know, there's too many to pick. Yeah. What I like about him is he's really different, and that one is different. They're all so different. But a short list of them would be that one. I just, I like the sound of it. I love the weird music. And he's done stuff... You know, with Burt Bacharach, most of which is complete crap. <laughs> He's done really depressing stuff that he thought was romantic after he met his current wife, you know, Diana Krall. <laughs> and it's awful. And he, But he's done other stuff that he loves, New Orleans, and he does that kind of style. And that was great. He's done, you know, weird stuff like Juliet Letters where, you know, high, super high concept <laughs> with a quartet writing songs vaguely around the kind of people that have written letters to people... Um, and that's mostly a spectacularly well done record. Um, but he's great at the, the way you can go from punk to Burt Bacharach and anything in between. And he was never punk originally. Like he, he did music to, to make money, you know. And that first record, 
it was like that was, that was what was happening at the time. But his songwriting was always better than the rest. But he would have done all. He would have done anything that would have made money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what made money. And they turned him into the angry young man. It turned out he really was angry. But that whole record, he, his his band didn't even record it. He was shoved in a studio. There was a the band that ended up doing all the backup music on that trivia. Was a band called Clover that happened to be it was an American band that okay. was touring around Europe at the time. Clover was Huey Lewis of Huey Lewis and the News. Oh, that really? was the San Francisco band. We used to go see Huey Lewis <laughs> all the time in bars when we lived in San Francisco, and he kept talking about the fact that they were doing some record that was held up, and he never made any money till he got to be middle aged, and then the record that got held up because of all kinds of contractual problems turned out to be this huge hit. And they suddenly became this pop phenomenon and made a ton of money. But they were poor, 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 poor for years. Anyway, and they were, they were trivia. They, they played the music in the back of My Aim Is True, which was Elvis' debut. The record company said, look, you're, you're going to you do this and we're going to put the music. Like, they told people what to do. Like, you don't tell them what to do. Right. This is what we're going to do. But um, I also love Elvis because of lines and that one. It's one of my favorite lines in it, um, from Allison. Um, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're loving somebody. I only know it isn't mine. And it, it, most people don't even listen to it, but he does that all the time. He's a little bit, he's a little bit stupid about puns, but still, it, it's a kind of a pun, you know. But most people listen to it and go, that, that doesn't. Sound, he didn't conjugate the sentence properly. You know you know what it means, mm-hmm. but it uh, he does that all the time, and I think it's kind of funny and clever, and uh, um, which is why I pick him to listen to um, stuff, not just angry. He has a song called "Dust," which is just rhapsodizing on what dust and this. This thing that you find it's like lint in your pocket. It could be the dust from, from a from a pharaoh's grave or something. And uh, and or is this thing? And he he twists it around and he says something about you know, is this something, or is it just dust? Uh, he has two different versions of the same song in the record. And you know how many people write songs about dust? <laughs> so I like that evocative, imaginative attempt. And he also attempts so much stuff. And fails miserably. <laughs> it's definitely a sign. This m- most of the people that I like in music, anyway, that that really gems. Often I don't. I won't listen. I haven't. I won't listen to anything else that they do. There'll be like three songs. And I can't listen to anything else. It's all crap. <laughs> but those particular ones could be outstanding. For me. Another book. You wanna scream and shout my 